Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for February 26, 2018. On today's show, we're going to be talking only about one bit of news, and that is that filmmaker Kevin Smith suffered a heart attack. But uh, most of this uh, podcast is actually going to be a spoiler room discussion of Annihilation, which came out this weekend and you probably didn't see. Uh, I hope you did see it because it's a great film, and we'll be talking about uh, spoilers, the ending, what it all means, the differences from the book, the original script and what the sequels would have been about, and much more. So uh, please come back to that uh, once you have seen the film. This is Peter Serrata, and joining me for today's podcast are Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Slash Film Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writers, Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, before we get into the spoiler room, let's dive into a little bit of uh, sad movie news, and that is Clerks director Kevin Smith uh, suffered a massive heart attack. Um, Brad, what do we know? Yeah, just uh, last night, apparently, uh, Kevin Smith was doing uh, back-to-back stand-up shows in Glendale, California, and I guess he was feeling kind of sick after the first show. He had thrown up and felt kind of... Uh, listless, tired, whatever, and was sweating, and then uh, just started feeling like some serious pain. Um, and so his 
uh, two of his friends who were there with him called the ambulance. He was rushed to the hospital. And I guess he had a massive heart attack. Um, apparently, he, uh, he had a, a clogged artery. And the, this um, specific artery is uh, the LAD artery, which is apparently known as the Widowmaker because apparently when it goes, you're a goner. Uh, and if they hadn't canceled the second show and he wasn't rushed to the hospital, then he probably would have died. Uh, if he would have had a, um, if it would have been any worse by the time he no- realized what was going on, but thankfully uh, he um, was in the hospital last night when he posted all of this on Instagram, and he seemed to be re- recovering just fine. Uh, wrote a very uh, intimate um, post about you know how he was like reflecting on his life when he thought that maybe he might uh, go out. It's it's you know a very personal and uh, touching you know post from him. And it, but I'm personally, you know, I'm I'm glad that he's doing well. I uh, no matter how much uh, shade Kevin Smith gets thrown at him nowadays for being a very vocal fan and for uh, his recent films, I will always be a Kevin Smith fan because you know his uh, comedies like Clerks and Dogma and and Mallrats influenced me when I was in high school. Uh, and when I, I've met him several times now, just running into him at Comic Con and various events, and he always takes the time to like have an extended conversation with with pretty much anybody but yeah, like, not, I, always, not even I, just because you write for slash film like i've right, seen exactly. him spend min, you know way more minutes than he should with just random people on the street yeah exactly he's he's the most jovial friendly friendly dude he's so appreciative of his fans um and whenever i've talked to him it's always it's always been just a, a great conversation he's the nicest guy and so I'm, I'm glad he's doing well it would really be uh really sad if, if we had lost him so hopefully he has a speedy recovery uh and he'll be around for a while longer yeah uh, say what you will about uh his recent films but uh his early films i think were a huge uh influence on the independent film boom they were definitely a huge influence on my life i even went to uh one of his vulgar fests in red bank new jersey uh, back in the day and um i was lucky to become friends with him for a good period of time uh when slash one was first uh starting and he you know even invited to his house to see an early cut of zach and mary and stuff uh we've fallen apart in recent years uh probably because kevin just stopped giving a fuck but um he, uh, I, I hope he uh, has a speedy recovery. I hope uh, this is uh, something, you know, I, I hope the end is not near for Kevin Smith. I hope, uh, you know, he can uh, get well. And uh, I think we can say our, all, all of our collective thoughts are with uh, Kevin Smith and his family uh, and hope he recovers. Um, let's now jump into the spoiler room. Uh, we're going to be talking about. Uh, Alex Garland's Annihilation. So if you have not seen Alex Garland's Annihilation, you'd be stupid to listen to this because we're, we're going to be talking about the ending in depth. We're going to be talking about the themes in depth. We're going to be talking about the book, uh, the script. Uh, so if you have not seen the movie, uh, shut this off here. Go see the movie and then you know play this in your car as you're driving home from the movie theater. Um, you know, we, we, we have the Slash Filmcast to do full-on reviews of uh, movies and, and dive into kind of that aspect of things. So I don't want to make this a film review because, you know, we already have a podcast that does that. Uh, but let's go briefly, uh, you know, before, before I go briefly down the line and get your impressions of the movie, um, 
uh, I'll, I'll say my impressions. Um, I think this is, um, you know, going to be remembered as a great uh, ev- elevated genre movie for years to come. We're going to be coming back to this just as we came back to like Aliens, maybe not in that high of a s- esteem. But, uh, you know, this movie is just a visual treat, uh, has some amazing ideas that I think we're going to see sci-fi films borrow from years to come, especially with like, you know, aliens being more of a, an environmental thing than creatures and stuff. Um, and, uh, I really, really enjoyed this film. It's, it's, uh, definitely in my top 10 of the year so far. Not that we're that far into the year. I guess if I have any criticism of the movie, it is that, um, I, it didn't get me that emotionally evol- involved and didn't, I guess, for me, say have great uh, say something more about this world and me. Do you know what I mean? Like when, when I go to a film, like a sci-fi film like that, uh, like Arrival or, you know, those kind of films that I, I think speak deeper to you. I know that I am probably in the minority in that, in that respect. So let's go. Uh, ben, what are your thoughts on this film? Uh, I really, really liked this movie. I don't know if I love it just because I'm still sort of baffled by it, to be honest with you. But I think that's probably part of the intention of the movie is to baffle you in a way. Um, It really is uh, one of the most gorgeous and unsettling experiences I've had at the movies in a long time. I think, um, Peter, for... For me, you were talking about how it didn't necessarily emotionally click for you, but I think for me, it sort of um, it, it clicked and and worked on a, a level that um, was deeper than just uh, relating to the characters. It was more of like uh, experiencing the entire vibe that Alex Garland created on this movie, and and just getting in the headspace of letting this movie wash over me and. Um, and really like being okay with not fully understanding it, but having walking out of the theater with a ton to think about, which is more than I can say about most movies. Uh, Chris and I were actually talking on Twitter briefly about how it sort of reminded us a little bit of the fountain. I feel like, um, this movie could be, yeah, some sort of loose cousin to Darren Aronofsky's movie in that it's so ambitious and so, um, uh, yeah, just ambitious in the in the things that it tries to say and the ways that it tries to say them. So uh, I'll let everybody else uh, go and, and stop rambling now. But um, but yeah, I, I really like this movie. I liked it too, but I'm actually more on this on uh, your side, Peter, in that I really admired it. I thought it was beautiful and mesmerizing, but there's something that I didn't quite connect with, and I could see its themes that were sort of simmering under the surface, and I really admired what it was doing and what it tried to do. But for me, there is nothing that quite clicked like Arrival did. And um, I can see like the arguments that it does, it's, it's uninterested in catering to the audience and having uh, some sort of meaning or having, or having to derive some sort of meaning from everything. But for me, that's just, it just felt very clinical and subdued in that sense. I, really, I actually kind of wished it was even more surreal and wilder because that would have been what would really draw me in I think and I was drawn in I there were moments that were incredibly just like stark and stunning for me Um, but it was something that I think I expected a lot out of just because it's again like the whole um, expectation thing I was hearing so many good things about it so I was expecting to be sort of blown away and instead I was sort of treated to something that was much more subtle and I appreciate that but it wasn't quite exactly what I expected yeah I'm uh, definitely in love with this movie too, um, it's it took me a while to uh, really soak it in 
um, and come to love it. I, I definitely knew that I liked it a lot by the time it was over. And just the more I thought of it, uh, because I couldn't get out of my head, I just started to love it even more and how it's it's just very it's ex- it's extremely sharp uh it's very cerebral and i just i i love that it doesn't lay everything out for you it's it's not only is it open ended but it doesn't uh you know give all the thematic elements away it doesn't tell you everything that it's trying to say and i think that because of that it allows people to interpret it in different ways uh once we t- start talking later i know ht has a different interpretation than the majority does but it seems like there's a lot you can take away from this depending on what kind of person you are, uh, where you're at in your life, how you perceive certain people and, and things about your life and other people's lives. And it's to me, it's um, I, I will agree with HT that I don't think it hit me as hard emotionally as Arrival did because um, that, that ending was like a wow thing for me. And like I, I really felt it uh, even after I saw it a second time. And this one for me, it was more of a constant feeling of uneasiness and uh dread and uh just feeling very unsettled some of it was because of the monster movie stuff others was because of the the psychological elements of it but i just i found myself being very drawn to it and i even now i like i just i still can't stop thinking about it and uh yeah i just i i I really liked it a lot chris you wrote this whole spoiler review like what is it four thousand words or something for slash film.com uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of words. <laughs> so, so boil that down to one paragraph for us. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I, I uh, this movie blew me away. Um, it's one of those movies that I just can't stop thinking about. And at the same time, as I was watching it, I knew that it was going to be a very polarizing film. Like I could literally feel the audience I was seeing this with just start to lose the movie, especially near the end. They just started to just disengage. It was like they were pulling a plug. Basically. They're just like, I've, I've had enough of this weirdness. I can't put up with it anymore. And I, you know, I sympathize with that. You know, uh, there's nothing I hate more than someone who's like, you're wrong for disliking a movie. And if you dislike this movie, you know, I get it. But at the same time, this is, you know, like you said, Peter, it's early in the year, but I can tell this is definitely going to be on my my best of 2018 list when, you know, the, the end of the year rolls around. It's just a very effective, haunting movie. And it, it's it's a, it was a lot more almost like existential than I thought it was going to be. Even having read the book, there's this underlying message in the film that's very <sighs> – downbeat which i think is also going to turn a lot of people off but for me i I loved it um yeah i I definitely agree with you that this is one of those movies i think like you know 2001 or you know you see it and you totally understand why people are not going to like it while you're watching it and while you're enjoying it um you know this is also i think um you know, I mentioned 2001 and, you know, people have been trying to solve that since the 70s. But in your review, you talk about kind of like this recent uh, era of pe- like people trying to solve entertainment. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't have any hard data to back this up, but I feel like this all traces back to the show Lost. I feel like that show was such a cultural phenomenon that it rewired people's brains on how they watch entertainment now. And because that show, the nature of lost was always every week was like, where is this going? Where is this mystery leading to? 
everyone sort of got into this mindset that anytime something is deliberately enigmatic or mysterious, that it's something you have to try and solve. And I feel like more often than not, some audiences, especially uh, in the film Twitter bubble, they act like they have to be smarter than the film, like they're trying to outsmart the film. And I think that's a really incorrect way to watch stuff, especially a movie like this. Like, I feel like this movie, a big part of it is that it's unsolvable. You're not going to really get all the answers from this film. And the same thing with 2001. You're never going to have all the answers. And part of the fun is having it up to interpretation. And I feel like more often than not, people are just trying to nail down one specific conclusion. And I just think that's a, a, a kind of boring way to approach, especially something like this. But that's me. If, yeah. if you if, if you think otherwise, you know, more power well, to you. But yeah. one thing that I think that's interesting is, you know, this film has kind of an open ended ending. And I feel like a lot of people give blockbusters, you know, coming from studios like Disney flack for, you know, oh, they're just trying to set up a sequel when, when that happens. Um, but then when they see a film like this, like critics, uh, you know, def- like you defend this ending. Um, so I'm wondering why is it? Why is it when it's populist entertainment that we look down upon that, but when it's you know something like this uh, that's elevated that we defend it? I don't know. I don't have that answer. <laughs> people are a, a mystery to me in general, so I don't know why some people look at it like that. Um, I, I do occasionally get bothered by ambiguous endings, but I feel like the film has to earn it. I guess that's the way I'd approach it. And I feel like this film is so ambiguous to begin with that it earns its ambiguous ending. But if your film is for the most part straightforward and then you just throw an ambiguous ending there at the end, that is uh, a bad idea. So I I think it's more about earning that ending. I think this film earns it. And there's a big difference too, between the way that, you know, Peter, like you're mentioning, like Marvel movies or something will leave the door open for a character to come back in a sequel or something like that versus the quote-unquote open-ended aspect of this movie's ending it's like as you're watching annihilation you can tell that there's not going to be a sequel to this movie because you can feel the money just like dripping away (laughs) as you're watching the movie you know that nobody is going to come see this the word of mouth is not going to be that great it's it's going to become a cult film if anything else so it's not really uh the same kind of it's like apples and oranges you know you can't it's it's not really the same thing but you don't think when Um, paramount was making this they're like oh there's two more books in the series this ending is great because it's going to set up you know future sequels I honestly don't think that they felt that way. I, I think they were probably like, all right, let's just uh, let's minimize the damage here as much as possible because this movie, you know, it's been done. This is it. Maybe in the early stages they were thinking like, you know, uh, when when they were looking at scripts and drafts and stuff like that, maybe they had that in mind. But I feel like once they saw what Alex Garland produced here, they they must have known they're they're smart enough to know that this is not going to be a movie that's going to draw in huge audiences. So I don't think it's open ended in the same way that a lot of other things are. Okay, now that we've ranted about the you know the solving entertainment uh, problem of today, let's actually try to solve entertainment, guys. Uh, let's. Uh, I want to talk about the ending. Uh, we do have on the site. Uh, Lindsay Romaine wrote this article called "Making Sense of That Annihilation Ending," uh, which touches upon more stuff than we're going to get to here. But um, 
I want to hear, you know, what do you guys think of that tunnel? What is the tunnel at the end of the movie? Well, in the in the book, there is uh, they come across this structure and the biologist character keeps calling it the tower, even though it goes into the ground like a tunnel. And eventually they find out the walls are alive and they're breathing. And so I'm guessing when Alex Garland was adapting this, he took from that. But the film's version is a lot different um, than the, the book version. I mean, pretty much everything in the film is different than the book. But uh, I don't think there's a I don't really have a, a, a good guess on what the film's version is going to be other than, you know, the beginning of the film. We see that meteor crash right by the lighthouse. And I'm guessing that's supposed to be like the crater that was created when that meteor landed. Does anybody else here yeah. have any theories? Well, I don't like to call it a theory, but I like the that the tunnel is sort of this sort of goes into my reading of the movie in that it's about sort of evolution and creation and how the structure of this tunnel and the cave that it opens up to is very womb like. And it also has sort of parallels in, of like the descent into hell as well. So there's a lot of mixed metaphors that I'm kind of going with here. But I think that it speaks a lot to this sort of doppelganger that we see and that it's this is where it's incepted and created and um, how it's made in the image of, of man but almost made to be better or something. So it's sort of my reading of, of this tunnel and the strange sort of cave was that it's a womb of, of some sort of area where life can be created and uh, new life hence spreads from there and takes over. And that's what life is. It's not so much, it's both gift giving and, and also it, it takes away in that it's like it, the whole metaphor of the movie in that it's, it's a cancerous sort of, it's almost cancerous in the way that it overtakes everything. Is that Lena at the end of the movie? Uh, well, I, I interpreted it as that it was not um, because we see at the end when uh, Lena and Kane hug, they both of their eyes shimmer and we are, it's implied that they're both the doppelgangers. We see on camera that Kane, the real Kane was killed. Um, well, he killed himself with the phosphorus bomb and it was his double who made his way to Lena's house. And then at the end when Kane asks, are you Lena? She doesn't answer and just hugs him and they both have their eyes shimmer like that. So I interpret it as them being these doppelgangers that we don't know who they are or what they are or what they really want and neither do they really. So that was my interpretation. Does anyone here think it could actually still be Lena? I think it is her, just because the way it's shot, um, like it, it, the way it was filmed to me looked a lot like you know, the the quote unquote real Lena blew up the fake one. I think the shimmering at the end is representing that you know uh, Area X or the shimmer as they call it in the movie keeps changing everyone who goes into it. So I feel like maybe that's why her eyes are, are glowing at the end, but I could be wrong. That was my I, interpretation as well. I, yeah, I mean, I actually kind of like to think of it more, maybe a little more abstractly as to who are we to say who the real Lena is? Because if you extrapolate this to go along with, um, and Chris dives into this a bit in, in his extensive breakdown about how there's a lot of uh, elements in here about the idea of depression and who we are and how it, defines people and how we self-destruct because of it and so that who's to say that this it, it's not lena but it's not the version of lena who has come face to face with you know her depressed self and the self-destructive side of her and come out on the other side a little bit differently 
maybe not like how we knew her before, but somebody who has come face to face with, you know, her own inner demons and problems and is now essentially seeming like a different person, but maybe isn't entirely. Uh, Taking a a darker reading to that, I've seen that depression um, analysis as well. And I've heard some theories that like, well, not theories, but the reading is that this is doppelganger and the doppelganger is a representation of her depression and how in some senses when when depression takes over, it destroys a huge part of us and it's the only thing that's left uh, living in a sense, taking over our body, which is a really depressing way of reading it. I think it, it, whichever way you read it is kind of indicative of what kind of person you are and, and how you would perceive the world. Yeah, I think that's so cool that it, can, that it could go either way. And like, I think I think that you can do that with a lot of the characters too. Like, you could uh, specifically with Tessa Thompson's character. I I kind of struggle with what we're supposed to take away from that because we know that she uh, had dealt with self harm before. She has scars all over her arms from from cutting herself and whatnot. And so like when she gives in to the shimmer, is she is that her giving up and essentially you know committing suicide or is that her giving into like the positive side and moving away from her depression it's I, I feel like you can read it either way does anybody else have any thoughts about that yeah that was the that was the scene that really struck me the most when I was watching the film like that was the part that I think that uh really stayed with me and I felt like I've had a more positive takeaway from that scene in that you know, she doesn't want to fight and she doesn't want to face her fears either, but she just wants to exist in a sense. And I felt like it was her way of accepting her role in this cycle of life, vicious as it may be. And I thought that was almost really beautiful in a way that like she was she was becoming a tree and a tree is sort of the symbol of of life itself and everything like that. So I think that that was my reading in a way. I guess if I have any problem with this ending, I really liked the WTF, you know, tunnel stuff when it was going kind of batshit crazy. All that I was in for. Once you came to the ending where they actually do that reveal with the eye, I feel like that seems too much of like a normal like sci-fi horror movie ending, um, which I know a lot of people would probably disagree. A lot of probably mainstream America would want to know more, but I, I feel like... I want more of the like you know inception ending where they cut away before you find out anything. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's actually I'm sorry for talking so much, but yeah. it's actually an ending that is really uh, reflective, I think, of a lot of Alex Garland's work and how he has an ending with a character who is not quite human. Uh, for example, at the end of Ex Machina, we see Ava, I think that was her name, stepping out into the world. And we don't know exactly where, what she will do or where that will take her. And it's, it becomes not a sort of, you know, dire sci-fi threat, but a sort of questioning of humanity in a way. And like whether they will be able to live as humans or whether they want to live as humans in a sense. And whether that humanity still stays with them or not, if that makes sense. Okay, um, I think it's, it's now time to move on to uh, talking about this film thematically. Brad kind of ta- uh, touched upon this earlier. I, I, Chris, I saw 
in, in your piece, uh, your spoiler for reaction, or I mean, spoiler review, not spoiler for reaction, um, uh, which is on slashfilm.com. We'll link in the show notes. Uh, people should go read that. But uh, you talked a bit about uh, what this movie is talking thematically about to you, or what you what your reading is of it. Uh, so t- tell us about it. I mean, yeah, I don't want to get too uh, depressing and or personal, but the thing that struck me most about this film is just the way it's very uh, almost subtly addressing just, you know, depression and anxiety and uh, even like suicidal tendencies. And, you know, that whole ending where Natalie Portman's character is literally fighting with herself was to me one of the most like accurate on-screen interpretations of you know battling with depression because it literally is just like that where you're just literally you can't get out of your own way so to speak you're you're, you're just you know your 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 own uh you know uh, mind is just bogging you down and you know there's a part of you that knows like this is you know insane this shouldn't be happening and i should be able to get out of this but you really can't nothing you do really seems to work and that whole conclusion really got to me and i think what got to me more is that there's not like a uh there's not like an uplifting twist where it's like ah yeah she overcame that depression you know even though she gets out of area x even though she gets out of the shimmer she's still you know taking a part of it with her and uh, you know on one level that's that's depressing and that's very downbeat but i appreciated that the film didn't try and present this sort of like easy way out where it's like, ah, yeah, she overcame all her troubles and everything is okay again, because that's not really how depression is either. You know, you can, you know, get medicated for it. You can go to therapy, but it's always going to be there in the back of your mind, so to speak. And so that really affected me on that level, especially the ending. See, I I love this reading of it because I usually am good at, uh, you know, uh, figuring or, you know, um, connecting with those thematic, uh, even subtle thematic, uh, undertones of a movie. And for some reason or another, it did not connect with me or did, you know, I did not realize it until, you know, talking to you guys on Slack and, you know, realizing everybody going into this, um, into the shimmer all have kind of like, um, problems, uh, you know, with depression, or anxiety. Um, so it's something that it d- didn't register to me. Chris, you also have an article on the site uh, about the original ending to the original Annihilation script and how it was very different than this ending. What what happened in the original script? Uh, yeah, so the the original ending, it's mostly the same. Where you know she uh, Natalie Portman's character comes out of the the Shimmer and she reunites with Oscar Isaac's character. And, you know, she asked the same question. She says, you know, are you Kane? And he says, I don't think so. Are you Lena? And she doesn't answer him. So all that is the same. And then they hug and, you know, their eyes glow. And then it says over her over Natalie Portman's shoulder out the window, you can see uh, a shooting star and then another shooting star and then another. And then it's revealed these are all meteors like we saw at the beginning of the film. And inside the meteors is more of, you know, the shimmer, if you want to call it that. So it's it's this sort of like uh, alien invasion ending in a way that I'm glad they didn't go with. Because as much as, you know, the glowing eyes thing is a, you know, sort of horror movie trope, I feel like ending with like a full-fledged alien invasion is that to the nth degree. So I'm glad they didn't use that. 
Um, and your article also has a bunch of other annihilation script changes, which we won't talk about here, but there's, you know, a difference in Josie's death. There's no framing device. Uh, you can go to slashfilm.com and read about what else was different in the initial script. But the other thing I want to talk to you about, uh, uh, Chris, is the differences between the book and the film. So, Chris, w- this is a lot different than the book, right? Yes. Uh, very, very different. <laughs> so what is the book about? And I guess spoilers for the book coming up. I mean, you know, the, the core element is still the same. You know, it's a, an all-female team going into this mysterious zone. But the book, it's a lot more uh, like the threat is more ecological, I guess you could say. Like they don't come right out and say it's aliens. Like at the end of the movie, Jennifer Jason Lee literally is talking about aliens. And none of that is in the book. It's more... Uh, mysterious and they even actually think it's sort of like man-made for a while the thing that's causing area x and uh you know the article on slashfilm.com goes into a lot more detail but just for instance when they go into uh area x in the book it just looks like the wilderness whereas in the movie it's very weird and the sky is like a abnormal color and you know the book is a lot more subtle about what's different there there's no um There is like a monster that shows up in the book, but there's no, you know, giant alligator. There's no uh, monster bear. You know, none of that is in the book. And uh, a lot of the characters are different in the book, too. The book is really only focused on the biologist and the psychologist. And the rest of the team, uh, one of them backs out before they even go through. And then another one dies almost instantly. And then uh, a third member of the team is is missing for a big ch- chunk of the book. So the movie fleshes those characters out a lot more. It gives them a lot more to do. Um, it also gives them names. In the book, they're just known by their title. The, the, you know, the biologist, oh, wow. the surveyor, the psychologist. You never learn their names in the book. So... Uh, you know, I know, I guess I understand why Alex Garland felt he had to give them names, you know, because, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, reading a book is a lot different than watching a movie. But the, the book, it's more concerned with like archetypes, I guess you could say, than, you know, actual individual characters. What, what about the ending of the book? Is, is that fair? Uh, yeah. Well, it's it's a lot different because, you know, in the movie, uh, Natalie Portman, she, you know, burns down the lighthouse and effectively ends the Shimmer. That's another thing. The book, there's no such thing as the Shimmer. It's called Area X. They never call it the Shimmer. That, I don't know why they felt the need to give it that name in the movie, but you know that's, that's neither here or there. But in the book, the book literally ends with the biologist. Uh, she's been writing the whole book in like a diary, and she says, you know, I'm, I'm going to go deeper into Area X. Please don't come look for me. And then the book just sort of ends there. And then it picks up, you know, with the sequel. But so the book is a lot more open ended. There's no like conclusion like oh. the movie has. I would be so disappointing if I was reading that book and it just came to that well, kind of ending. Well, all three books actually came out at once. It wasn't like oh, he wow. released. Yeah, so he, he wrote it as a trilogy and then they released all three books at the same period of time. So. Uh, yeah, I'm sure like if it had been, you know, parsed out like that, if you read that book, it ended, you'd, you'd be like, you know, fuck this. But <laughs> he did. He did think ahead to make it make them all available at once. OK, when I came out of the theater, you know, the first thing I'm thinking of is, you know, they're not going to make a sequel to this movie. It's not going to make enough money to warrant a sequel, sadly. But I was, you know, wondering, you know, they made two sequels to the book. 
what happens? I couldn't imagine what possibly happens next. Uh, I mean, it sounds like the book was a lot different than the movie. Uh, but I'm, what I'm going to ask you is, uh, you know, you wrote the story for the site uh, about the two books and, you know, what the Annihilation sequels we'll never see were about. Uh, so I guess we're going to give spoilers for these two books. Uh, so what? Wh- where did the story take us in the sequels? So the second book, Authority, it actually turns into uh, almost like a spy novel, which I really thought was cool because uh, instead of being about the biologist, it's now about this new character. Uh, he goes by the name Control, and he's the new director of uh, the Southern Reach, which is you know the, the government organization investigating Area X. And so he takes over the Southern Reach, um, and the biologist character magically reappears near her house, sort of like Oscar Isaac's character does in the movie. And so the Southern Reach picks her up, and most of the book is spent with uh, control interviewing uh, the biologist. And she tells him almost right away that she's actually not the biologist. She's a clone created by Area X. And, you know, he thinks he, she's making that up. But, you know, it, it, we, of course, know it's the truth. And, you know, most of that book is just him getting to know her. And there's a lot more background into his character about how he's been a failure his whole career. And he had a, he was on a previous mission where he got a woman killed and it's, it's a lot different than the first book. And, uh, uh, it's actually the second book is my favorite book in the series just because it's, it's so different than the first one that you, you don't actually expect that to happen. And at the end of that book, uh, control and the biologist clone, go back to area X. And so the third book acceptance goes back in time and shows how area X turned into area X. And there's this lighthouse keeper who uh, basically morphs into a monster. And um, we also get a lot more background about the psychologist character played by Jennifer Jason Lee in the film. We learn that she grew up in the you know the location that eventually became area x and when she was a kid she was friends with the lighthouse keeper and so that was sort of why she's always been obsessed with area x because she wants to go back in there and find this lighthouse keeper that she was friends with as a child Uh, and we also get more with control and the biologist clone and they come across the original biologist who has now turned into a giant monster made up of thousands of eyes. So it's really, uh, <laughs> it's very, very strange. So uh, I have no doubt neither of these will be turned into films, especially because the way the movie ends, it leaves no room for any of this to happen. But that's that's the, the basic gist of what happens in those two books. Well, crazy. Um, Peter, real quick, before we end, can I yeah. uh, float one more oh, yeah. reading of yeah, the ending it. of the movie to you? Okay. So I know that you guys talked a lot about uh, depression and stuff, and I sort of felt that when I was watching the movie. But I also sort of took away um, almost like a feminist reading from the end of this movie because it ends with the lighthouse being burned. And there's this really evocative shot of Natalie Portman standing there and watching this this lighthouse burning on fire in front of her. And it's very uh, (laughs) like obviously a phallic symbol. And then this comes right after she had just almost literally been reborn by going into, as HG talked about this sort of womb like area down in this tunnel and then emerging or emerging out of this, um, you know, like these, this canal basically up into the light again. And the idea of the shimmer, uh, 
forming out and sort of um, expanding from this phallic symbol made me think that maybe the shimmer could be representative of, you know, like toxic masculinity. Because if you look at what happens uh, when all of the men go into the shimmer, they, especially what happens with Oscar Isaac's character, you know, he ends up cutting somebody open from the inside. There's, the, you know, it's, it's just causing all these infections and this this cancer that is is uh, being uh, dropped on society and slowly spreading and about to take over everything. And there's nothing you can do about it. And just the idea that four women would, you know, strap themselves in and go in to battle this thing. And that would be the only thing that could potentially take down this, uh, cancerous force. I, I just thought it was a really powerful imagery and just sort of an alternate take on, uh, the depression metaphor that's been thrown around a lot. No, that's a that's a very interesting take. Um, sadly, we we have hit the wall of going way over our time limit uh, for this podcast. So I'm going to cut it off here. Uh, you can find all the articles we talked about today. There's like four different annihilation or five different annihilation pieces uh, in the show notes and on slashfilm.com. Uh, you can find this podcast slashfilm daily published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, over. Uh, overcast all the popular podcast apps uh please go rate and review us on itunes spread the word tell your friends and we'll see you tomorrow